Welcome to Bible Over Brews, deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I'm coming at you, Aaron Crew, Juice, Viverk, and I've got Gumby. Hola. I've got Justin. I've got Nate. What's good? And I've got Keith. Hang on, guys. I'm going to have to leave. There's a new Taylor Swift album. <laughs> Is it oh, Christmassy? <laughs> so... Tonight we are going to start our night with a local vendor, all right? So if you live in the Cleveland area, this is going to be Craving Lilies, all right? She specializes in different pastries and pies, and they're brilliant. I actually went out of my way for Thanksgiving to pick up. She has flan, Mm. she has cheesecake, and then she has a flan cheesecake. And that was brilliant. That was just simply brilliant. She combined the two to create just a, a delicacy I had never thought of before. Oh, and yeah. It's it was, a translation issue. They call it manna. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we are going to try real quick. This is her coquito, which is made right here in Cleveland. And again, if you're on Instagram especially, she posts all of her stuff on there. Look for, uh, look for Craving Lilies. Coquito. Mm. Coquito. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> mm. What do you think? It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is, uh, for those who don't know, Coquito is a cultural favorite of Hispanic communities, uh, especially among the Puerto Rican, the mm-hmm. Puerto Rican, right? Yep. And it's, uh, it's usually made with uh, 151 rum and, uh, and it's it's watered down a little bit because it's also made with different uh, uh, coconut milks and um, think of it as a Hispanic version of eggnog. And it's uh, sweet. It's a little bit thick, but it's delicious. Yeah, very good. So, please thank pour you. that on your keyboard for me so I can have a taste. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, what is in your hands there, man? Oh, I'm gonna say that that sounds a lot better than my. Uh expired Czech Pilsner Urquell. We got these uh, out of the storage room at the uh, local Czech Cultural Association that we're, we're part of for the boys' gymnastics, and they were like, we can't sell them, so we're going to give you guys expired beer. <laughs> Is it green? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's beer. It's tall, so I'm going to be fairly inebriated after drinking it, so that's always a plus. As long as you're not drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the bottle, the can looks cool. So that's it is a that's colorful a can. Yeah, yeah. I can't read most of it, but it looks cool. <laughs> and then um, Nate, you and I made actually contact. Um, I think it was what eight months ago or so. Feels like it was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, by the way, I very much enjoyed your post over at Bishop Aaron's site. That was uh, ah. yeah. That was a good article. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but that was a good article. I feel like I wrote it like eons ago, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it kind of was a. Uh, I should probably fix my mic, huh? <laughs> sure. Well, so wait, Aaron, you got to give me some background on on the guest here. I need some back. I need some context. Yeah, we'll be. We're going to be moving towards that. Okay. So, and uh, Justin Farr, um, 
you have a brilliant blog I've seen and uh, I've already been reading through, which, um, again, I'm very impressed by your conversion story because I can relate to your story of conversion. Um, it's very similar, and I think as you explain it, I think Gumby will actually see I was along a very similar path. Mm. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about your blog at all? And Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and we'd like to hear, hear about your background because you have a very interesting background that you're currently engaged in as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, so just like you said, like uh, my blog is a larger part of, of, my, of my apostolate called Black Catholic. And, um, and, and what, what Black Catholic really is, it's just like my own kind of like, like way of expressing myself as a black Catholic and, um, and, and also spreading like uh, black Catholic history, black Catholic saints, various a- aspects of uh, black Catholicism. And, and, uh, and, I, and my apostle is, is on, not only my, uh, my blog is on uh, theblackcatholic.com, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. If you search the Black Catholic, I should be like probably one of the first things that pops up that pop up on there. Uh, and and again, like um, it's just me expressing like different aspects of uh, Black Catholicism there. And the big hope, and, and also like the apostolate is something that um, was been on my mind for years. And 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 I and I got and I finally started to do it in uh 2018 and so i've been on it for two years and and and, and again it's just um like just been active for two years first through through like my facebook and uh and twitter extensions and then and then i launched the website later that year in 2018 and so i've just been um yeah working at that and, and just getting that and, and the big hope for it a big goal that i had that i had for that is for one thing it's always evangelization. It's always preaching the gospel. It's always working to save souls, and uh, and and to ultimately like because I mean, as a Catholic, I believe like the Catholic Church is is the true church, and so I want to bring as many people into the Catholic Church as possible, and especially Black uh, African American, especially Black and African American people into the Catholic Church. So I do that hopefully by being um, my my own uh, and just be a good example. And and to be like a and to just spread Black Catholicism to be like an attractive face or or through my content being attractive in some way so it helps to kind of ask brings people to ask different questions and especially Black people to ask different questions about okay hey, it's a Black Catholic uh, let, let me see what, I don't know, I don't know to me know the Black Catholic so let me go investigate this a little bit more and see what it's about but I mean but that in a nutshell is kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, and and, and also I, through my mic, I hear like an echo. Is that like um, you're fine on this side? You sound good on over yeah. here. Oh, okay, good, yeah. good. Right. I, I was just texting you about that, Gumby. I, I was hearing that too. Yeah, on, on this side, you're fine. Um, go back to Nate. I, it looks like your your mic was fixed. Um, I'd like to hear more yeah, about your background too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and especially yeah, that, especially starting with with your, your media and your article. And, uh, I would like to hear about that in, uh, initiative you're starting. Yeah. So when you mentioned the Bishop Barron article, I 
kind of had to pause and think about it for a minute because it was one of the first articles I wrote as a Catholic. Uh, and it, it was a result of another article I had written for an uh, outlet called Where Peter Is back in late 2019 because I was about to get confirmed. And someone saw it from Bishop Barron's team and invited me to come write a piece for Black Catholic, uh, I'm sorry, Black History Month for them. And so that's what I did. And it got me even more exposure. And then I just have been writing articles ever since on Black Catholicism and also my own journey of conversion and growth in the faith. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. And, and it all culminated in about six weeks ago, I and a group of other lay Black Catholics started a whole Black Catholic news site, news media site. Uh, mm going well. It's called Black Cat Messenger and it's, it's keeping me busy to say the very least. <laughs> I'm wow. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great initiative because I really don't think it gets enough exposure. Like, um, I know most of, I know, uh, most of my African American friends are, are Baptist or Pentecostal. Um, I honestly, I, there's only a handful of, uh, African American families at my parish. So I, I think that really needs more exposure. So I, I absolutely it's a great it's a great initiative, I think. So um I'd like to start diving in a little bit. I'd like to hear the background stories because I know where I came from and I would like to start with Heath. <laughs> because He's been on the show for a while, and I don't think I even know why he came back to Catholicism. <laughs> be, gen be, be gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> I was just going to interject before I started at the beginning. I used to have a, a blog about faith, but I made too many people mad, so I stopped blogging about it. But it oh, had man. a uh, it had a uh, a picture of a I took a picture of um, Martin Luther. And, and made it look like the Che Guevara, like what you see on a shirt, and called it a heretic for orthodoxy, like <laughs> Martin Luther was a rebel, but not really. But it was so, I don't know. It was a pretty dumb joke. <laughs> it was my best Photoshop date, though. <laughs> so, yeah, um, where I started off with, I grew up in a, uh, a Catholic home, you know, kind of the typical 1980s, 1990s. Catholic home, big 65% of our town went to the same church and, you know, went to, to PSR or Catholic education after, you know, public school or whatever. And, um, you know, kind of the typical, you know, every, we go to church every week, but we don't really talk about our faith that much outside of it. Mostly it's, you know, kind of like, oh, you should learn that at PSR uh, or kind of just know it. Um, so things started coming off the, the wheels a bit. I, I, even maybe a little bit before that, I kind of just grew into this sense of like God as like this kind of almighty high, you know, someone you got to keep happy, you know, say an Our Father before bed every night uh, to keep, uh, you know, the devil away or whatever, or to, you know, keep from sliding into hell or whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the wheels started to come off in high school and I, I had a, several friends who uh, went to a Lutheran church and they uh, introduced me into the band. I was a drummer, so I got to play drums with all their cool 
worship music instead of boring old hymns at the Catholic Church. You know, really cool hymns like "Lord, I lift Your Name on High," like super cool stuff, guys. I mean, hey, yeah, that's still <laughs> that's still one of the top selling Christian songs ever. Yes, yeah, classic. <laughs> you know what's funny? I found out later because later when I did come back to the church, uh, I found out that, you know, 10, 15 years after I had been playing that song at the Lutheran church, that song was finally picking up in the Catholic church. Like <laughs> everything Catholics do in America, it's usually like a decade after Protestants do it. And music is definitely a big part of that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I started kind of drifting towards our church. I had a, a Protestant S conversion experience at a, at a Jesus camp uh, between sophomore and junior year and by the time I got to college, I had, uh, I kind of was looking for an excuse not to go to the Catholic Church, especially since I was on my own now. And I pretty much used the excuse of they uh, let go of the guy who did contemporary music uh, for the, like the praise band at the Catholic Church because I was still kind of going to both. So I was like, oh, well, I'm pretty mad about that. So I think I'm going to not go there anymore. And I mean, I was probably legitimately mad, but I mean, it was kind of convenient. <laughs> so I latched on with a campus group uh, that was affiliated with the Assemblies of God in college and quickly ended up in their leadership ranks. Uh, and it also meant kind of just by default then I was going to an Assemblies of God church. Uh, and since I was a drummer, I was ending up in their band too, uh, which kind of took me to the point where uh, I was like, if you just go to especially like a seeker-friendly AG church, you know, it'll seem like pretty normal. <laughs> But then when you get, you know, where you get to where the sausage is made, like being on the worship team and like praying with everybody before the actual service. And then people start speaking in tongues. You know, if you're not really used to that, then you start getting to the point where you're like, oh, this is kind of weird now. <laughs> and no offense to anybody who's a, who's a, a charismatic uh, whatever, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, uh you know, get to the end of college, and uh, I'm still going to this church. I meet my wife at that church. She just shows up one day. Apparently, she showed up in part because uh, our website looked better, and I had helped build our website. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, but, you know, things get serious, and uh, at the same time, things are starting to feel a little bit weird. I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting into that evangelical hangover kind of feeling like this doesn't feel like enough and i'm kind of weirded out by the weirder parts and you know my wife has a presbyterian background so we're starting to talk about our life together and like what church we should go to we start church shopping a little bit we end up one day at a uh, presbyterian the presbyterian church in america it's like the pca instead of the pc whatever the other one the more conservative one uh and it ends up being like we think we're just going to slip in this church and and nobody's going to notice us, and we're just going to experience it. Well, no, it's like a it's like a church service that takes place underneath a Catholic church. Like, they rent the space out, and it's like 20 people, so everybody notices us. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we tried that once, but we're like, oh, man, this is, uh, you know, I mean, it was okay, but it was also kind of nerve-wracking for everybody to notice us. So we start looking at other churches. We're in a bookstore one day, and I'm like, you know, I keep thinking I should get a book just like that actually really talks about Catholicism to make sure that I shouldn't be Catholic. Like I should really read, listen to some argument about why you should be Catholic. Um, Cause I was just a little more background. I was really into this whole thing. Like 
debating people. I was um, one of the token Christians on the Internet Infidels uh, uh, message forum. Uh, so I had just a lot of fun sparring, and I, I still enjoy that talking. This is why I'm here. I like talking to people from different faith backgrounds. Uh, so uh, I pick up Carl Keating's Catholicism and Fundamentalism. Uh, I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good, hey, it's comparing the two from a Catholic perspective. I'll try it out. Uh, I'm immediately really hit by the argument about the um, inspiration of the Bible. Uh, just instead of going starting from the perspective of the Bible is inspired, therefore, Christianity, uh, that the, the inspiration of the Bible really hinges on the trustworthiness of the church, that the, test, uh, the, the witness of Jesus rising from the dead, there's hundreds, you know, maybe more people who witness it, there's people who testify to it in the moment, and there's people who then write it down, um, while also becoming this church that Jesus said would be there, right along with rising from the dead. Uh, all these, you know, one thing Jesus said is trustworthy, rising from the dead, and it kind of proves the other stuff that he was saying, which was, I'm going to build this church upon Peter, and this church happens. Uh, and then this church says that the scripture is inspired. And I find this argument very convincing. And I remember very specifically after one of the, um, you know, Assemblies of God church services, and I'm hanging out with my, um, you know, my then girlfriend in the church, and I'm talking about, um, yeah, I started reading, you know, reading this book, and man, this argument's really convincing, and I, I think I'm going to have to change because of this. And at the same time, I had started reading this book about, like, high-end spirituality, something that my coworker had given to me, and he's like, hey, you should read this book. And I was like, hey, I'll read anything so I can, like, you know, debate you or whatever on it. So I'm reading this book about, like, this new-agey stuff, and some guy's going on these world travels, and he runs into the Mayan calendar and the end of the world coming in 2012 and all this weird stuff. So since I didn't explain what I thought would change my mind and which book I thought would change my mind, my wife was, my, you know, QB wife was convinced that she was, I was talking about the Mayan, you know, New Age spirituality book and not Catholicism and fundamentalism. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that uh, kind of started off just a, a serious uh, imbibing of all the Catholic. I, I, probably uh, consumed way too much Catholic answers, which I think is the double-edged sword, as I learned later, uh, in emphasizing certain things over others in my early journey into the church. Uh, it really synthesized an interesting way with my, you know, continuing to debate stuff on the internet infidels, and I, I think I kind of knew I was really sucked in uh, when at one point I'm debating something on there, and I can't remember exactly what, but I think it definitely had something to do with inspiration of the Bible and, like, taking things super literally. And I just immediately mid discussion, I switch over to the Catholic position of just not taking it quite so literally, like the entire truthfulness of the faith hinges on exactly our modern interpretation of what the Bible is. And so at the point I switch over to the Catholic argument, I'm like, oh crap, I'm Catholic now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, that that was kind of the, probably the point of no return, and and mm. you know once once I, once you intellectually convince me of something like that, I'm I really can't not go along with it. I think I was back to my, you know, first confession since de reversion uh, within a week of that, <laughs> um, and yeah, and then you know from there it was really, uh, you know, definitely since I was involved in in campus ministry and and still hung out with a lot of those people after school. I, I definitely probably had a problem. I realized I thought I was right 
doing this, but I, I definitely had issues where I, I had the classic issue of anybody who suddenly thinks they know everything, um, when really that's the point where they put the least amount that they should know, which is to act like they know everything. So I'm kind of getting pretty aggressive and spouting off my, my newfound perspective and alienating a lot of my friends, writing a blog that probably makes people at my church angry. <laughs> and um, yeah, this. <laughs> so um, yeah, since then, it's been actually a journey just to, to learn how to be a little more uh, humble about it and, um, you know, not, not just hit people with the fire hose. Uh, <laughs> this is probably the most I've talked about my face since I went on about a decade-long hiatus in talking publicly, uh, just in kind of the fire hose format. <laughs> oh, it's good. It, it it offers a lot. I I appreciate all of the stories. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I like to switch over to Nate now, because um, Nate, I know you've gone over quite a bit and uh, pretty interesting background. So let's hear from you. Well, I was not raised Catholic. I was raised very much Protestant. Uh, first, probably eight years of my life, I was in a black Baptist church, uh, specifically missionary Baptist. And then I was exposed thereafter to a white evangelicalism in a megachurch for a couple of years. And then it was back to the black church in a United Methodist Church congregation that just happened to be in the middle of the hood and was totally black. And I was there for the next like decade. Then I was a an American Baptist for a while, which was like country white Baptist, which for whatever wow. reason I enjoyed during high school. I preferred it very much to Methodist Church. And uh, yeah, I pretty much stayed in uh, evangelicalism evangelicalism for the next 10 years after that, including college out in Los Angeles. I'm actually from Indiana. And um, yeah, so that was, I was pretty standard in Protestantism for, for a good while. But a couple years out of college, I started to have some questions, uh, mm -hmm. especially after I went to seminary for a semester here in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And I kind of started to see the inner workings of a Protestant denomination. And it kind of freaked me out. And I was like, why does it feel so much like a business? Like people trying to climb to the top and hold on to power and keep this huge money bag basically intact. And uh, yeah, that turned me off really bad. <laughs> So I gradually started to fall out of the church, really in general, not from the Christian faith, but from organized church. And I got to the point where there was a whole year, I think, in uh, 2017, I think, when I just didn't go to church at all. I was like, they're doing it wrong. I can't, I can't justify it. But at no point did I ever consider something other than Protestantism, because uh, during college, I had kind of latched on to this Reformed theology, even though I wasn't going to a super Reformed church. I was I was very much into uh, John Piper, Mark Driscoll, and then into the older guys like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, that, that kind of theology. So Catholicism had been totally wiped away from the realm of possibility for me as far as Christianity was concerned. 
and uh, that was just layered on top of ignorance that I had grown up with before college about Catholicism. And so it wasn't until late 2018 that I finally decided to try something other than Protestantism. And this was after, you know, going to the absolute outer realms of Protestantism. I was going to a house church at that point after I finally came back to somewhat organized religion. <laughs> and, uh, but even in the house church, I was like, you know, something is still missing. I'm not, this isn't that much different than the big Baptist churches I used to be in or the big mega churches I used to be in. And so I tried out Eastern Orthodoxy on Christmas day, 2018. The first time I'd been to a non-wedding church service outside of Protestantism. And, uh, Actually, no, that may not be true. I think I went to one Catholic mass where I wasn't paying attention. It was like, this is <laughs> satanic or something. <laughs> but, uh, it, was the, it was the first time I attended a non-Protestant service and I was actually trying to explore and figure something out for myself. And uh, I was blown away. Like, it was this not so large Russian Orthodox tradition church icons everywhere and not, not far away, like right up on you. Like you're sitting next to a bunch of icons and, there's icons on the ceiling and icons on the walls. It's just, it was wild. And, you know, I knew Catholics had statues and stuff similar enough to that, but I had never been so close to it, seeing people use them and pray with them. And I was like, okay, something, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on here. So I started to meet with the priests there to ask him all the questions I probably should have asked a Catholic for the first 28 years of my life and just never did. And he pretty much gave me the lowdown on non-Protestant theology, pre-Protestant theology, history, and everything that I wasn't open to learning about before. And it, it's just started to make sense, started to click. And I was just about to become Eastern Orthodox before I was like, you know, what, what about Catholicism? That one thing that I was, you know, so opposed to for the first uh, two decades, almost three decades of my life, because I had had no exposure to Eastern Orthodoxy before 2018. There's no, there's, there wasn't an Eastern Orthodox church in my hometown, I don't think, until a couple of years ago. So um, I started to explore Catholicism for the first time in a real way. And eventually I discovered Black Catholicism, and that that kind of opened up a whole new dimension for me within Catholicism because a lot of my reservations about it were the fact that, you know, black people are Catholic and I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm black people. So I had to, I had to get over that really quickly. And after I uh, decided that I was going to become Catholic, I discovered that my mom's family, who she had been separated from because she was adopted as an infant, they were actually Catholic. So I learned that my maternal grandparents and great-grandparents were all Catholic, that my aunts and uncles that um, my mom had only recently reconnected with, cousins as well, a lot of them were baptized Catholics. And this was my first knowledge of Black Catholics in my hometown uh, with members of my own family. It's, it was crazy. Wow, it's Even one cool. of my uncles who I actually had a slight relationship with, I, didn't, I never knew he was Catholic. And... Uh, so yeah, this all kind of hit me as I'm deciding, yeah, I'm going to be confirmed in the Catholic Church. 
And I want to say six months after I pretty much started to affirm Catholicism, I was confirmed myself. And uh, this was in San Francisco, December 2019. So not that long ago. The anniversary was actually on the 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And yeah, now I'm as Catholic as I want to be. I'm loving it. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's funny because so many people don't think that, and yet there is so much of Catholicism that is based in the old, you know, in the old African world, right? So it's, and people don't see that. They don't see that side of yeah. it because all they see is the European side of it, right? Yeah. So, and that's often where, that's all the church is willing to display, but yeah, that's changing. I hope. I I think drastically, and I and I hope all of this is helps with that. <laughs> As we're going to switch over to Justin Farr now, good sir, you currently are already involved in the ministry, are you not? Oh yeah, yeah. Like right now, like uh, I'm in my third year of seminary, uh, Catholic seminary, and I'm studying to become a Catholic priest. And uh, right, and I, in the past two years, has been uh, two years in my philo- philosophical studies. So now this has been my first year of theological studies, and coming up on the um, like the end end of the first year of theological studies, and it's going to be four years in total of, of theology. And uh, yeah, still got some way to go. But again, even though like I'm not like an ordained clergy member yet, there's still as a seminarian, you'll find that there's still plenty of opportunities for people to minister to the people of God, uh, and that something like ministering to people of the people of God is not something exclusive to just what the ordained clergy can do, but it's something that lay people can do as well. But but again, but that but that's what I'm doing as far as ministry. Uh, uh, becoming a Catholic priest and uh, studying for that. Awesome. Awesome. And your background, uh, when I heard your testimony from when you were young, it actually resonated with me because I saw a lot of myself in that transition. Can you relate how you came around to that? Okay. Um, like, um, when I, like, uh, it, I guess quick question, like, as um. Like from there, like I guess launch off from like to tell my full conversion story and stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, but it, but but anyway, just like you said, uh, like my faith journey kind of started when I was really young, um, and 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 again, just like Nate, like I didn't grow up Catholic either, and so I, I was nowhere even near the Catholic Church until a lot later, and. Um, but where I was, I mean, and, 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 really, and really nowhere near church, really, from age, from before age eight and nine. And so, because before that, my family didn't, my immediate family at least didn't go to church. Like uh, church, I don't remember church ever being mentioned in the house or anything like that. Like uh, um, no mention of God on a, on a, on a, on a explicit type of level, uh, no prayer before meals or anything like that and there's like the only mention of god maybe was like culturally that you may hear some sayings like god don't like ugly or something like that or oh my god or something like that like like things like that but of course i don't think i really thought about it much because nobody formally told me about god until 
when I was eight, eight or nine years old in 2003, my mom just to this day, like there's still an element of which I described as like randomness to it. Because previous before then, there was no mention of God or church or anything like that. But then, um, like we started going to church, we just and just out of the blue, and it, it and and it, and it and I and for a long time I didn't quite know why my mom did that, but but during this time we just started going to a church and it was a Black Baptist church, um, like I actually like I actually still live like not too far from like that Black Baptist church we went to, and um, and we went there for about a year or two and we just and after that moment we stopped and we didn't really go to church after that point but before then when i was around this same age i do remember being baptized i'm the clearest day uh like like i don't i don't know how long it was when we when we started going to church to when this moment we got baptized but i think it probably was like a choice does but hey you want to get baptized or something like that but as a kid eight years old probably doing what i'm being told to do but i remember being baptized and 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 going under and coming back up but as a kid i mean again i was a typical eight-year-old nine-year-old kid going to church in the sense that um like of course there's most sundays i probably don't want to go to church <laughs> and stuff and so like i probably i just wanted to just sit back home playing grand theft auto or something like that or like just <laughs> just playing video games and watching cartoons and stuff but and but but like there, there was this key moment, as I relate in my like previous kind of telling my conversion story, when I was around the same age. There was a moment in which, again, as a kid, like uh, I, I wasn't exactly a bad kid or anything like that, like or at least an outrageous kid. Just did kind of crappy things from time to time, and. What happened? And, you know, and what happened was that there was this one Sunday in which the like the pastor was really about. I forget what the content of the of the sermon was, but it had something to do with like living right by God and turning away from sin. It had something to do with that because, like, I felt some kind of conviction in my heart because of the bad things I was doing at eight nine years old. Um, and I remember having a moment in which I was just running like I'm just. Uh, Came up, like just started to cry and we were running up to the altar and stuff and probably hugging the pastor and stuff and just kind of being sorry for my sin. And and after that moment, I began, which lasts to this moment, was last to today, this awareness of the reality of God, this awareness of the sense that like not only God exists, but that I should live my life for him. And like, and of course, so I can go to heaven, but gradually that became more so because, like, I love God. I love Jesus. I want to be with, I want to, I want to, like, have a relationship with him and live in accordance with Christian principles. And so, so, so that right there sustained me that since this early sense of Christianity, this early sense of Christian faith sustained me even when we stopped going to church like uh, a year or two later. And from, and this was, uh, like I said, around eight, age eight and nine, from age eight, nine to about 16, no church. Hmm. We didn't go to church at all. And, and as far as, as in my immediate family still really doesn't go to church. 
but again, there was uh, there, and there was no there was no reason why. I mean, I mean, there was no reason I knew then why exactly we stopped. We just we fell out the habit. We just didn't go go. But having this kind of early sense of Christianity instilled in me, that kind of sustained me through, through this period of of, of, of of like at least a decade or so. To where even though we didn't go to church, I still had this sense of faith within me, and so I would still pray to God again and 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 and. And, and and be aware that God exists and gradually become this sense of faith got more um, mature and more and, and more developed as we as as I went from um, elementary to middle school to high school and it was during this late late middle school mid to late middle school into early high school that really my faith became alive in a real true sense and this was still still within overall a protestant context mm. and what happened along this time was that the internet happened really like and what happened is that we we got a computer in the house for the first time and so when we got a computer in the house for the first time i was able to um encounter like christianity out there and also at the same time encounter internet atheism. Uh, and this was around 2006. So this was just around the, um, the, the, the birth, like the, the birth of the new atheism movement. So like Richard Dawkins had his great, his book, his book, uh, the God delusion came out this year. It's really like, like some of the, the four, uh, horsemen of the non-apocalypse. Like, so you got Daniel Dennett and all of them, um, really getting hot around this time. And so, like that, and so of course I encountered internet atheism, and so, and so I realized I had this sense of faith, but okay, they're saying God doesn't exist, and religion is irrational, particularly Christianity is irrational. Do it, and I, and I believe in God, and have this faith, and I pray as much as I could at me at this age. Okay, do we have a response to this? Do we have a, a response to this at all? Um, like, is Christianity is is it is it rational? Can, can we really believe in it? And so that launched me into Christian apologetics. And Christian apologetics, particularly more from a still a Protestant or evangelical type of a, a background. And so, and, and, I, and, I, and, and, it, and it was good that I experienced it, even it, it, like uh, good experiences time, um, even, even in hindsight, speaking as a Catholic, that I encountered like uh, uh, particular Protestant voices during this time because they helped instill within me a sense of like a, 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 of a like the intellectual kind of basis for Christianity, so it through Christian apologetics. So uh, looking up YouTube videos and websites and stuff, encounter people like William Lane Craig, Ravi Zacharias, R.C. Sproul, these different like Protestant Christian apologists that help help instill a, a, a vigorous defense of the existence of God and the rationality of Christianity. And so um, it was during these, and so I used these things to not only kind of help provide explanations for like various atheistic objections and stuff like that, but also this allowed me, once I knew there's an answer to these objections, to have a, to develop my own spiritual life as well. And so that that allowed me to keep praying and to keep um, again reading the Bible and and. 
and in, in, in developing this 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 sense this sense of Christian faith that I that I had gotten like as a seed way back then. And and again, and 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 this was again, or was it still not going to church and everything? And my faith was very kind of privatized in my life because since my family didn't go to church, I was kind of like I was always kind of like uh, unsure about what they would kind of think about believe about like me expressing my faith outwardly and and so I really kept it privatized and developed uh spirits spiritually privatized but also again as a Christian intellectual privatized as well um but then I I started to when I got to late high school I started like the question of church and being amongst Christian believers really began began to be a a, like a, a like a consistent type of question, and when I read in the scriptures, read like Saint Paul saying, and like the description of the New Testament church, and was they gathered together, uh, and they and they and they and they, and they, shared, and they broke the bread, and, and 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 I knew deep down like Christianity is something that we gather together, and and I'm supposed to be doing something a little bit more than just like uh, hanging out and chilling in the bed on Sundays or something like that. Those like Sundays supposed to be a little bit more important, like something, like supposed to be doing something. And, and I mean, and, and then later the kind of like, um, well, well, I guess I talk about like what I get to, but, um, but that question of going to church really began to be a strong one, but I realized that I wasn't really going to any particular church. And, and with the advent of the internet and everything, I began to discover the different pro the different denominations that there are. So I saw different Protestant denominations and I also saw like Catholicism as well. And I saw Eastern Orthodox, all these various different Christian denominations. And I began to ask myself the question, okay, like uh, if I were to go to church, which church do I join? And so then, even though I came from being like a Baptist to like the point where it was just like, even though not really practicing that much because of basically what, like the, what we didn't do as a family, um, I, I like... I, I reached this point in which I'll say, okay, uh, I mean, I, like, wait, before, let me back, backtrack, like, even before then, I, I developed this sense of Christianity, and this still, and this sense of Christianity was more on a Protestant lens because of the type of, uh, the, the, like, the, the Christian thinkers that I've come, to, come, across, come across and the material that I've been taking in. And so, again, I believe kind of maybe, like, my, my belief was very much shaded by Protestant kind of thinking and Protestant thought. Um, so uh, And so when I began to ask this up, the question, okay, what church do I join? Or I need to be on the church maybe someday. Which church do I join? I stayed within, I st still stayed within Protestantism start thinking about that. And, and but then, like, uh, other questions kind of came to mind. Like, uh, and I'm a history guy, I'm a history person, one of my passions. And so, like, what, another question was, okay, uh, like the question of history, and and it makes sense to kind of do what Christians have been always doing in a sense. But I still ask myself this question within a Protestant lens, and so, mm. like, for for this moment of like looking and discerning which denomination do I join, I became like non-denominational, like personally, for the sake of finding another denomination, because I knew that I knew. There's at least some denomination I had to join and everything. I, I, I don't think, because I think really even non-denominational is, is kind of a denomination of itself, I thought then. And so 
I got it. Let me find some some like some uh, some denomination of joint, and and, and then I asked. Then that that balanced with the question. Okay, okay. What about what? I know Protestantism got its start. Okay, let me try to be one of the oldest Protestants. So I went to. So I started to investigate Lutheranism, and um, and. And I was really, and I and I was really attracted and drawn towards a lot of like uh, Lutheran faith as well, and and um, and and also, like, again, uh, like the question of like I might as well be the amongst the oldest Protestants and stuff because they got, they got this stuff started amongst the Lutherans. So I enter and weave with that history question, and then also another thing kind of came to mind. Through my research, I encountered for the first time liturgy and like worshiping God in this very kind of ritual type of way in a structured way. And that vibe with me too. It's like, like, yeah, if I'm gonna worship God, I kinda wanna worship God that way. I mean, I like I don't know, maybe because I'm an introvert a little bit, I don't know, but for some reason, like like worshiping God that way, that way really kind of clicked with me. And so uh I started to inch more towards like a more high church type of Protestant uh, um, situation, and like uh, seeing Lutherans, they still practice liturgy and they still practice, uh, especially uh, like like at least some of them do practice like a very kind of liturgical type of worship as well. And and as I'm going through this, like uh, I began to, when I was looking at Lutheranism, I began to kind of discover the different churches within Lutheranism. Because Lutherans were not just one thing. And I saw and I saw like uh, three main like three kind of main ones in the US. I saw like the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, I mean the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the uh, the uh, Missouri Synod, and like the the one in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Church, I believe it's called. And and I and because of my kind of uh, Formation I received from like strong Protestant Christian uh, apologists like William Lane Craig and, and, and company, I began I, I developed a strong sense of Christian orthodoxy. So it was believing in the Trinity, like as far as on the theological end, believing in the Trinity, believing in Jesus as God, and etc. And then on the moral end, believing again the marriage between one one man and one woman, um, and again abortion is wrong and and so on and so. I took these things, I took history, I took liturgy, and I took um, uh, like Christian orthodoxy and evaluated uh, the churches, the different denominations. So when I was looking at Lutheranism, that's how I evaluated Lutheranism. And I really wanted to join like what, like the more uh, like orthodox kind of Lutherans that I had to see. And, every, and, and for me, I was really looking into the Missouri Synod. And for, for a good while, I was really contemplating becoming a Lutheran. But the question of history started to kind of nag me a little bit. And the question of history began to be important. I began to ask myself a question, okay, if Christianity is 2,000 years old, I keep hearing, okay, what were the, some, what were the earliest Christians were doing? Because I knew history class and, and my research that, that Martin Luther and the Protestant movement got its start in the 1500s. But if Christianity is 2,000 years old, then, then Protestantism, at least from a historical standpoint is only telling half the story what's going on previously and so i began my investigation and so that i began investigations on a historical basis then i saw how uh 
Protestantism as a whole, there's no one Protestant church. There's various different Protestant churches. And so there's no there's a there's a, a lack of unity that's within Protestantism in general that I, that I began to notice, and I also began to notice how there's uh, there's there's different types of Protestants like some are more conservative, some more liberal, and everything like that. And I began to be a little bit disillusioned by the lack of unity uh, amongst Protestants in general, and like the this sense of um, and also striving to have a sense of orthodoxy, of Christian orthodoxy, that, that, I, had sense, that I had the sense. And then, and then adding into the historical p- component of, well, Christianity is 2,000 years old, what's going on before? And then, then at the same time, I began, I was encountering Catholicism as well through like the grapevine, watching EWTN and uh, looking up Wikipedia articles and stuff and on websites like, and, and encounter Catholicism. So it's kind of peering through through the lattice. It's peering through through the through the like the grapevine. This Catholicism beyond me. And so, like, once like so, what pulled me? And, and so I experienced the kind of gradual pulling out of Protestantism in general. Uh, when uh, even I was looking at the Lutheran uh, Lutheranism, began to think, well. Looking into history, I began to see a lot of the things that the early church was doing, early Christian believers are doing and practicing, were more present within the Catholic Church. And I began to see, okay, if I'm going to believe and practice anything, I need to do it with the what the earliest Christian churches were doing, what the earliest churches were doing, because they're closest to Jesus, they're closest to the apostles, and everything like that. So I need to do what they're doing. And when I looked in history, I saw today what I saw in the early church was more in line with what I saw in Catholicism than in vast majority of Protestants. So I saw like the Eucharist, I saw like uh, the Eucharist being treated as the body and blood, like, uh, uh, and, and not just merely a symbol. I saw, uh, again, a, a hierarchical church of deacon, priest, and bishop. So these various kind of reflections within Catholicism within the church. So it's like, oh, oh that, I mean, then maybe I need to kind of adopt some of those practices. And so gradually, I, uh, and, and, and another thing I also saw was veneration to the saints and, and Mary being venerated as the mother of God and everything and praying to Mary and praying to the saints. And, and I began to kind of be drawn towards these things, drawn towards these practices because that was the early church doing it. And, and, and even some early Protestants were doing this stuff. Like Martin Luther uh, still uh, prayed to Mary, like, uh, and, and 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 you see that you see forms of uh, of, of, of Protestantism like uh, amongst like the Lutherans and the Anglicans and Episcopalians who still hold on to what is seen as Catholic practices, but they still believe in they still have liturgy and, and pray to the saints and have devotion and the veneration of Mary. And so, but again, I had experienced a gradual pulling out of Catholicism. I mean, pulling out of Protestantism towards Catholicism, and ultimately, what drew me to the church was uh, three kind of reasons, with a fourth coming out after I was already Catholic, and I began to ask myself the question, why am I Catholic instead of Orthodox? Because I didn't look into Orthodoxy as much in this early point. But what started that is, again, I remember, okay, one of the, one of the last kind of strings that was kind of holding me to Protestantism was the issue of justification. And seeing that, okay, Protestants, like, 
argue that again we're saved by faith alone and i began to like look the arguments on both sides and and kind of and i came to the conclusion that the catholic that that catholicism seems to be right we're saved by we're saved by grace of course by grace always by grace but through faith and works and i began to see like uh the protestant kind of a uh, perspective we're saved by faith alone but works still plays a role, just not in the justification factor. Ultimately, began to see that as various kind of arguments, like to try to still include works, that began to see just mainly a reason to still try to get works in on the back end, because works still plays a role. But like, but if but without works, faith is dead. But we're only saved by by our faith. But the works got to still got to be there to prove the faith. And so, I just began to say, well, you're still trying to have works, but trying to get it in the back door. And if we're going to have works, we might as well have faith and works together with, under grace. And so that opened up the door. And so then it got to my three reasons why I was pulled towards and chose like the Catholic faith in general. Um, one was the historical factor. Like I saw the, the, the Catholic church uh, for Clement to be 2000 years old and me seeing that in history. Um, to the practice of liturgical worship uh, and and willing to worship God in that way, and uh, uh, and and seeing that okay, like I kept basically wanted to worship as a Catholic even as this, even as this still kind of process hanging on. So it's like I'm honest with this. If I want to worship and uh, and to practice my faith as a Catholic, I need to kind of be Catholic. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and and then three. Um, Seeing the strong kind of like the unity, but also the 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 theological and moral orthodoxy that is that has been consistently upheld throughout the course of two thousand years uh, under one church speaking one voice throughout the course of two thousand years of Christian history, and seeing and again seeing this moral and Christian orthodoxy that was like this uh, this theological and moral orthodoxy that was there again like these three things ultimately drew me. To the Catholic Church, and then, and then, lastly, a uh, couple years after I became Catholic in uh, in 2013. So this was uh, after high school, first uh, after, and then after my first year, after my freshman year of college, um, began to ask myself the question. A couple years later, why am I Catholic instead of Orthodox? And that question is answered more so because of like a I'm, I'm, I'm convinced more of the Catholic interpretation of, of Matthew 16 in regards to Peter and Christ establishing the church on Peter and what that means and what and the implications of that. And Jesus saying to Peter, like renaming Peter, renaming Simon to Peter, to rock and saying, you are rock, you are Kepha, you are Petros. And upon this Petra, upon this Kepha shall build my church. And I also give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind, shall be bound with loose and loose. And so I saw within the Catholic interpretation, I was convinced that Jesus himself, and also like, like the rest of scripture, places this emphasis upon Peter having this form of leadership and leadership in regards to the church. And, 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 and if Jesus is building his church upon Peter in this way, then and, and Peter has this importance, then I need to be where Peter is at. If Jesus placed this authority and this kind of a, 
emphasis, this spe this, uh, this 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 special kind of uh, emphasis upon Peter in regards to the leadership of his church, that need to be where Peter's at. And so that's why Catholic instead of Orthodox. But again, but that in a nutshell is my background, a conversion story. That's awesome. We're going to go to our next section. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to train Muay Thai? Perhaps there's no gyms near you. Perhaps you work odd hours. Perhaps, like a few of us, you don't like germs. Whichever way it goes, you can train online with some of the best instructors from around the country, either live or in class with other students. Living Muay Thai gives you the chance to do all of this and much more. So jump into live classes and on demand right now. LivingMuayThai.com And we're back and we are starting off with 12 Dogs of Christmas from Thirsty Dog. It's an ABV of 8.0 and an IBU of 17 spiced for the holidays with honey, cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, and Santa's secret recipe. It's available right now. <laughs> so they always have a cool label, I think. All the yeah, dogs are up there on the Christmas truck. And right on the get-go, right when you start to pour this, the beauty of this is the fragrance. This always has one of the best aromas. You know I got to taste it out of the bottle the first. <laughs> right. I mean, right off the top, I can smell the nutmeg, a uh, little bit of clove right on the top of it. Just, that's gorgeous. Yeah, I can really get the honey. Honey's good. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of an amber color. Um, you can see through it, so it's not too bad. Not too heady. Mm -mm. Definitely was not too heady. For a sip. Oh, my Lord. That is always so good. Um, you have a little bit of resonance from uh, from the spice, the cinnamon. I think the cinnamon's a little stronger this year on it. Maybe it's just me. What do you think? Uh, I don't... You know, I like it better in the bottle. Really? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, it definitely... Ha you know, the first is a little different in I'm, the glass. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Mmm. <laughs> okay, I see I feel, what you're I saying. I feel like it's more focused. I see what you're saying. Bottle. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I, I, do, I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah, I think that I think it, different um, different flavors open up. You're right between the two. I definitely taste more honey out of that than when I do in the glass. Yeah, I, I taste more of the cinnamon in the glass. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. There's not many beers where the color comes through on Skype like that. Yeah, but that one is definitely an exception. It's beautiful. It's got. Is that it's, great? it's a beautiful color. Yeah. <laughs> that is the most Skypeable beer I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really does have, uh, there's a lot of Christmas ales out there, but one of my favorites has always been 12 Dogs. It just, mm. it's very well balanced. It's very aromatic. It's yeah. just a, one of the best out there. Yep. It's great. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Is it also it. local? It is local. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, in fact, the original brewer came out of a different brewery <laughs> to start this one. I don't know how much of that we could tell, but uh, it may have start with uh, Great Lakes, and then he moved on. Snap! <laughs> yeah, so right now they're at Akron. Yeah. 
which Great Lakes is awesome so as well. We could have had a better Christmas ale. No, uh, <laughs> no ill will towards Great Lakes because hands down they are the most well known for a reason. Yeah, so. they, they got they got the market. Oh yeah, brews over drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot of that here. I mean, you see a lot of the breweries competing with other ones. Hands People, down, certain brewers leaving certain breweries to go do their thing over here because they want a little bit more control. Yeah. It's it's very denominational. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so you want you want some of the pro, you want some of the Protestant uh, Reformation in the breweries. <laughs> Too much unity, man. I won't drink the beer. <laughs> I knew there was a reason that started in Germany. Oh, oh. <laughs> hey, where's our bell? Who's the Pope of Cleveland beer then? <laughs> I, yeah, that's a good question. I would probably still say Great Lakes. Yeah, I, I'd say hands yeah. down Great Lakes. The other thing. I'd say, hands down, Great Lakes is probably the most well-known of the Cleveland beers, although there are a few catching up. Um, Twelve Dogs is well-known. Um, Thirsty Dog. Um, and then on top of that, you do have uh, uh, Platform, which unfortunately was just bought out. But, we won't mention by who. <sighs> but anyway, very well-known. It was, at, at a time, the fastest-growing brewery out of Akron after uh, Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. So, but we definitely have a large market for sibling that revelry. Oh man, sibling revelry is fantastic. Noble beast. Yep. Yep. Mastheads is my personal favorite. Uh, we love mastheads. So, yeah, maybe those <laughs> As are like. You can tell there's not much to do in Cleveland besides drinking. So <laughs> it's a great market. It's for It's 2020, man. We're in quarantine. Where and do we... Muay Thai. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. My background is actually very similar. Um, going into uh, it's my story. Uh, so, I was uh, I was actually baptized into the Catholic Church as a baby, and then uh, subsequently pulled out by my parents as a small child, and they took us into like the Assemblies of God, um, you know, the Charismatic churches. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, I mean, honestly. It's weird because I never felt at home in the Protestant churches. Um, I always, I always joke that the U two song, you know, never found you. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? I always joke that that song was my life because I, like, I found my way back to it, but I still never felt at home. Right? Like, you know, you're you're on that journey. That long road, Route sixty six, right? And there's you takes forever to find a gas station, right? <laughs> and uh, I just I never felt quite at home. And then there was the big debacle of uh, my parents going through the divorce, and m- my mother brainwashing us to believe that we were possessed by demons, and that probably didn't help things. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. <laughs> um. So you might. I may have questioned my faith, you know, when it's used against you, you know, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, uh, I actually spent a long time, uh, agnostic. Um, I didn't really tell people that because most of my family was Christian, but on the, my personal side, I spent time agnostic and I, uh, I started researching world religion. Um, I was very drawn in to, uh, Buddhism, uh, Zen, Taoism, because 
it really seemed to touch with me on trying to find the absolute best way of harmony and peace. Um, because the uh, kind of like the, the antithesis, it would seem, of martial arts, <laughs> violence, is actually finding peace. And that's what every martial artist looks for, is actually peace and harmony. It's ironic, but that's, that's the balance that we have, the yin-yang, right? <laughs> and, um, and it was ironically through that that I started stumbling upon writings of Christianity. Um, C.S. Lewis, it turns out, was actually a Taoist philosopher. And he wrote about Taoism. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I love C.S. Lewis. I know he's a Christian. How was he writing about Taoism, right? So then I, right? It's, it's so, I was like, well, I wonder if there was other, anybody else, right? And I stood upon this guy, uh, Thomas Merton. Who's this guy, right? <laughs> and uh, it turns out he was also a Taoist philosopher, right? So I started diving into some of uh, Thomas Merton's writings, and so this led me back to Christianity, but because I've been brought up with my parents who were very anti-Catholic. They were very, very anti-Catholic because obviously that's the devil. <laughs> um, so I did not want to go in that direction, so I just kept slowly pushing my way through different denominations over the years. And, and even at that time, I was really only a Christian by name, I wasn't really living a Christian life. I was very secular in my life. Uh, I had two children out of wedlock. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really living. I, I wasn't hurting people. You know, I still tried to live a, as a good person, but I wouldn't call myself a heartfelt, stout Christian, right? Um and then uh, the year I, had my, I met my wife is actually um, the year that I was also trying to become a good, hearty Christian again. Um, and she was Pentecostal, and I started going to her church. It, it was fine. It was okay. <laughs> um, I still did not want to engage in anything that was going on there because... Up front, they were like getting slain in the spirit and talking in tongues. And I was like, yeah, guys, I'm gonna, I'll work security at the back. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to deal with all that stuff in the front because that just didn't see. In the Bible, let's face it, in the Bible, there's only two people that get slain in the spirit in the Bible, and they never get up again. <laughs> so, so I didn't want to deal with that side of it. <laughs> um, So... So then uh, we left there eventually, and we started. We went to another church. It was it's one of the Ohio mega churches, and again it was fine and they were good, um, but it wasn't my thing. And and so then we moved to a smaller church. It was close to us because I did like what the pastor said there because it was copacetic with the scriptures. So I was like, okay, that's cool. All right, because at least this guy's biblically sound. Because at the other church. We spent two full Sundays on one Greek word. <laughs> and he related everything except for scripture to that one word. <laughs> Superman, the X-Men, I mean, everything else about that. But he did not relate anything in scripture or Christian history when it came to what that word, one word actually meant. <laughs> mm. 
that, expose him. Who is he? <laughs> right? It's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I'm a geek. I like the X-Men, but I, I think there's probably a, a deeper subset here we can dive into. <laughs> so, um, so we moved to a, to a local church. It was a smaller church, but at least it was gospel sound. That was good. Um, and that's actually where we started our original Bible study. You know, we called ourselves the Berean Society, which which eventually became this podcast. Um, and actually, if you go back and listen, my journey is actually kind of peppered throughout the podcast because at the start of the podcast, I wasn't Catholic. <laughs> so um, I was originally also going to go into Eastern Orthodoxy. Um. A large part of that was because I was so anti-Catholic. I didn't even look at Catholicism. I had, I had no love of going in there because my father, my mother, and everything. Even though I had taken my grandmother to Mass, it was just to really spend time with my grandmother. Um, I didn't actually seriously look at Catholicism as an option. You know, those are the ritualized people they have no idea what it means to actually have faith, right? That's what I heard all the time. These people are religious, but they don't under, understand faith. You know, they don't have a religion. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. Is what I was always told. You know, these guys are all ritual. There's no relationship. Yeah, that that, that is our common misconception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fair. Yeah, and that's how I was brought up to believe. And so going into Eastern Orthodoxy, and I loved it. I loved it, and I still do. I, I, I hands down, I still see Eastern Orthodox as part of uh, the the apostolic tradition and part of our family. I still see that, and I still embrace the Eastern Orthodox as part of our extended family. Um, but there are certain things that, as I progressed in my journey, didn't jive with me, and part of that was, as you said, they forgot about Peter. <laughs> so, and, and that is, like, what is it, Matthew uh, 16, 18, right? Uh, when he goes through and he's he's talking about, this is where I'm building my church on you, Peter. And as I'm trying to progress into the Eastern Orthodox side, this keeps sticking out to me like a sore thumb. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't reconcile these two. So then I actually started going into the Byzantine Catholic, which I actually loved, still do. Um, and actually, my heritage is actually in the Byzantine tradition because uh, my family's Czech. Uh, and the Czech Republic actually has their the Ruthenian Catholic, which is Byzantine. Um, so that was actually was where I was headed to. And my unfortunately, my wife didn't like their liturgy. <laughs> so she was like... Uh, and I thought she would love it, right? I'm thinking, hey, she'll love this. This is like the religious form of glee, right? Because everything's sung. <laughs> so she'll love this. It's religious glee. <laughs> and, uh, but, she, but she's like, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I said, okay, we'll tell you what. Let's do this. The rest of my family's Roman Catholic. Let's go check out the Roman Catholic side. And so we went, and the Novus Ordo was, was up there. And we went to Mass, and we sat there, and she listened to it. She was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. All right, cool. There we go. This is where we're going to be. And, uh, and, and that's, in a nutshell, there was a lot of other things that happened along the way, but 
in a very small nutshell, that was my journey. Um, and a large part of that journey in between all of this was this podcast. So this podcast actually exponentially helped me on that journey because we're researching things. Like, for example, you go to episode two, the canon. Well, the Bible. What's the Bible? Where's that come from? What's the history of that? You find out for almost 400 years there was no Bible. Oops. So I, I guess that sola scriptura isn't really a thing then, huh? <laughs> because there was no sola scriptura for 400 years. So either God screwed up or sola scriptura is inaccurate, right? So, you know, and that also negates sola fide, because for 400 years, that would have been with Sola Scriptura. So that's out as well, right? So, so step by step, preparing every single one of these podcasts slowly walked me through into the doors of Catholicism. So it's amazing that history and theology slowly guide you there if you have an open mind. And, and I firmly threw out any preconceptions because preconceptions cloud the mind. And uh, as, as Bruce Lee said, to see a thing uncolored by one's own personal biases is to see a thing in its pristine simplicity. And so using my martial arts knowledge, I threw out preconceptions and studied Christianity in its own context, historically through time. And that's what guided me into Catholicism. So there you go. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing. <laughs> My pleasure. And, uh, and, and it's, it's amazing because in, in the Protestant side, and I don't know if you guys had this, but in the Protestant side, I was always told, if you understand the first 400 years of Christianity you will understand that Catholics are wrong because it all changed after the Council of Nicaea. And that's what I was always told. <laughs> yeah, if you're, you were always told that? Yes, that? yes, I was always told that. You never heard that? Well, I can, I, I can tell you right here that most black churches are not saying that. It's okay. kind of just taken for granted that, that <laughs> non-Protestants are, are yeah. whack. Yeah, I, I was always told that everything changed after the Council of Nicaea. But then I ended up going through and collecting like all of the anti-Nicene writings. And I was like, well, that's not true at all. <laughs> I was like going right back to the very first generation after the apostles. You have people like Ignatius of Antioch who right there tells you if they don't say that the flesh of the Eucharist is Jesus Christ, don't even associate yourselves with them. I mean, wow. I mean, that's right after the apostles. I mean, he's taught from the apostles. That's mind-blowing. You know, it's they, and they tell you, that's the flesh and blood of Jesus. And if these people tell you it's not, don't listen to them. I mean... And then you have Irenaeus. Uh, Irenaeus, uh, it tells you, he says that 
the seat of Peter and Paul, that is where every church must agree. I was like, wow, that's amazing because he was taught by Polycarp. <laughs> so, yeah. You, you were saying. Like, yeah, I mean, another thing, I mean, one thing I did see, I mean, going along that same sense was like the writings of uh, Justin a Martyr and uh, his, in his first apology and describing, and I was amazed when I saw this too, because I because like, well, I think I've been like definitely going to the Catholic masses for, the, for, for, for a good while up to this point. And he, and what he describes in his first apology is, is is basically the, like the structure of the Catholic Mass, and and what and what and what he's describing to basically the Roman Emperor, and he and he go and he and he, he describes the very structure of the Mass from like the beginning prayers to the end, and 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 within within this discussion of what what basically Christians at the time practice and believe, he went into describing what the Eucharist is and is the body and blood. And and again, and, and of course, like early Christians were accused of cannibalism and stuff, uh, like by like by like the pagan world because like they're saying they're eating the, the flesh and blood of this like of uh, of this of this of this Jewish guy and stuff of, the, of this guy named Christ and stuff. And so, like that was was big for me as well, and seeing other kind of testimonies of like early Christian practice. Practice practices that point to uh, Catholic practices and stuff today. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. And Justin Martyr is fascinating because he incorporates so much culture of his time into each one of his uh, apologies. Yeah, one of the mind blowing things because one of the early studies we did with Justin Martyr was on uh, was also with Chuck Missler too, <laughs> and that was with. Um, with uh, the Nephilim and the fallen angels. And Justin Martyr is fascinating on that because in the early, or, or I'm sorry, in the late Protestant stuff, now we're starting to dive into things like, you know, oh, the Nephilim and, and the fallen angels and the rulers. And, um, and a large part of that was already covered by Justin Martyr, you know, in what, I think it's 120 AD, right? Um, he goes through and he says, well, yeah, the Titans are the fallen angels. And the demigods were the Nephilim. And he goes through and actually shows you and, and matches it up historically in the thought processes, you know, and what we would call the theology of the time, right? So it's fascinating how he goes through and tells you how it relates back and forth. You know, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that theology is part of what helped me to accept Catholicism first through the Eastern door, as I like to call it, Eastern Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, but I, most Protestants would probably get hung up on the saints. Whereas when you start to understand the way that ancient Middle Eastern people thought about um, dead people, basically, especially as it transitions into the early church, it's, it's much easier to understand how people today can, you know, look at a picture and, and be praying to this person as if they can hear them and as if they can help them. Uh, but yeah, without that, without that ancient understanding, you're kind of just making stuff up and trying to justify it for yourself. But when I saw the history of how it actually 
how that belief actually was formed, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, the saints, absolutely, that makes sense. It's it's right there in the Bible. Can't you see it? <laughs> well, <laughs> most Protestants are not are not looking for it. <laughs> so, Daddy, hey, Jesus, you hit on something. Oh, sorry. No, no, you go guys. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say you hit on something interesting that I could really relate to talking about, you know, the perception that, you know, growing up or at various points in your journey that, you know, all the Catholics weren't serious about their faith. They were just going through the motions. And, um, you know, definitely there was a twinge of that in my falling away from the church where I'm, I'm going with, you know, I'm growing up in this parish where most of the town goes there. And it just seems like the cultural thing you do. And, you know, part of me is, is, you know, since like just feeling that that isn't legitimate it's not you know you didn't have to work hard to come by it you were just there and uh just not like um feeling like people didn't really own it and also wanting to rebel (laughs) i should say (laughs) just like i want to do different than most of the people are doing around me um and it was just so funny coming back to the church and suddenly i was made aware you know i suddenly noticed all the good things happening at my old parish or even catholics i'd met afterwards when i wasn't open to the faith i was like oh yeah that catholic was nice to me that catholic was doing a really good thing that catholic's doing a good thing now i mean and and this could go you know all sorts of different directions but it definitely does speak to like if you turning toward or away something is just is based on how those people right there are acting like you kind of have to look deeper um, I mean, and, and that's the thing, you know, you have to even realize as you continue in the faith. I mean, the longer you're the Catholic, the more bad Catholics you're going to meet. But that's not really what, you know, belief is supposed to be based on is, is just how someone who believes this thing, you know, happens to be acting at any, any given time. So I just thought that was really remarkable too. this thing that I just thought I just had totally pegged uh, <laughs> just was totally different when I saw it from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And it's and part of it is a, I think a cultural thing too, and I'm so glad you guys are on tonight because a, a large part of that is cultural. People always say, "Oh, Catholicism that's that's for those white people, <laughs> right?" And and that's and it's so not true. Um, I would like to hear about our our recent news about our new cardinal. Are you excited about that? Well, yeah, I think uh, it is. Very historical, very is a very good thing from a historical point of view and like a long time coming as well. Because I mean, you think from where we began as far as like the church in America, not like going back to like the story of Father Tolton, uh, if you don't, if, for those who don't know about like Augustus Tolton, the first recognized African American priest in American history, um, going from where he was, they wouldn't even. Like the, the the church in America, the Catholics in America wouldn't even train black people, black men for the priesthood. And so now you go from that all the way to um, having like a, a African-American cardinal for the first time. And that is a very is a very good thing, a very historical thing. And uh, and and I mean, and, and I and I stress like the like the, like it's a very good historical thing, regardless of what you what a person may think of the individual because one of the things i did like i did see was that like i mean like uh, across the spectrum like white and black white and some some black catholics is that they they may not be too hot not to get into the weeds too much but it may not be too hot of the person who 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 like uh, who has been made cardinal uh like uh, archbishop uh cardinal gregory uh, like but 
like like because they may see him, see him as like liberal or whatever like that. Uh, but it's nevertheless a a very much a great historical moment in life of the church, and I think on that basis alone should be celebrated. Every yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And, and and there's been some beautiful things that were even said by um, uh, by uh, Carlos uh, Sara, not not in our country, of course, but <laughs> but uh, that I thought were beautiful as well. Historically, though, if you could go back, what are because you had referenced earlier in the podcast about the historicity of the African um, influence on the early church, um, can you speak to that? Who me or Nate? I think he mentioned it as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Either one. <laughs> I, like, like I'll just mention some brief things that I get tossed off today. Cause I know he, I know it. I think I know he knows his stuff as well. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, like going back, like the uh, if you like just pick up um, uh, uh, the history of black Catholics, like uh, his, uh, black Catholics in history written by uh, Father Cyprian Davis, and he talks about he focuses mainly on the history of, of black Catholics in America, but he leads into that with a discussion of basically the history of black people in the, in the Catholic church, going back from the beginnings, going back from like the Ethiopian eunuch to the, the beginnings of the church that, that began in Ethiopia and like, and, and how he mentions how in like in the three hundreds, uh, the church began to fully develop in a black land. Um, and and to, and and, to, and 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 began and and before the developments, the, the the greater developments that you see like in Europe, you see like again essentially a black uh, heritage of the Catholic Church within Ethiopia, and so that that grew and that was full that was begin it was really beginning to be fully developed with its own with its own liturgy, its own uh, way of talking about the faith, and so it's and it's. Uh, black Catholicism has its roots early on in a church and and then even broader speaking like as far as Africa is concerned of course you have the Coptics uh, the Coptics in uh, northern Africa as well and so like black Catholicism is very historical and and, and, and very deeply and black people have have always had a place within the church even when that wasn't as uh, as well respected later on but but of course just just right off the bat you can't you can definitely tell how like catholicism is not just like just this white thing or anything like that i mean it's it ultimately is an everybody thing but of course it's it it's a black thing as well like in terms of history as far as like the history of black people within the church but, yeah oh yeah absolutely uh nate do you add to that yeah um I think it's great that he mentioned that book by Cyprian Davis because uh, he he introduced me really to Black Catholicism in general. It was one of the first books I read that talked about the topic. Before that, I really did think Catholicism was a white phenomenon in history and in America. But um, I think part of the reason people in America might get that misconception is because of the history of Catholicism here, the history of the United States in general. Um, so black Catholics are not just a major player in overall church history, but also in the history of the American church. And even a lot of black Catholics don't realize that because, because of the, the twin predominant perspectives of history in 
you know, popular United States knowledge, which is whiteness and also, um, I can't forget, I forget the second part of what I was going to say, but, uh, oh, Protestantism. Yeah. This Protestant perspective that erases both Catholic history and black history at the same time. And so people may not realize the fact that Cyprian Davis brings up in that book, which is that the first black Catholic in America that we know of was a 1528. And most people don't see America as being, as that phase of America starting until maybe 19, or closer to the founding of the United States. So, I mean, the heritage of black Catholics in the land that we live in now goes back much further than people realize. And for the first, what, 450 years of that, black people couldn't be priests. And so that affects everything that it means to be black and Catholic mm. in America today. And people don't necessarily put those pieces together because that history isn't so often told. I mean, if it, there's the black Catholics who've never read that book by, by Father Davis often don't know their own history uh, at a, their own, the history of their own religious tradition. And so it's important for people to do that reading and in 2020 to do that Googling and just become more aware of their own history in the church, but also in these these lands that we live in now that we didn't necessarily ask to live in. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Especially in these times, we've seen so many changes over these last, you know, just couple of decades um, even like, even some, some of my family members have said, well, that's way back in the past. And it's like, I've had, no, it's not, it's not way back. Columbus, Ohio didn't have desegregation until 1979. I was a kid in 1979. It's like, yeah. they didn't have segregation until I was a kid. So it's. I don't think people understand. They're like, it, it's not, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago. It's so much more recent than people realize. And, and to bring that together and to heal those scars, we have to acknowledge it in order to move on. You know, it's... Yeah. So I, I have a question. Um, you know, in light of 2020 and everything that's gone on in our country regarding race and the church to his continent's comment about the Protestants being that second pillar that you said next to whiteness and how it can erase black Catholicism. My question is how come so much more defending from the Catholic church for the black involvement in the Catholic church hasn't been more mainstream in front of Catholic news? Cause I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some of it since George Floyd, but why did it take that for me to become more known? Why haven't I heard this from the Catholic Church a while ago, pushing it out as much as they can and saying, hey, you know what? There is actually a lot more black influence in our church than you may realize. Mm. And maybe if Protestants would have heard that type of message from the Catholic Church first, maybe people would be more open to hear it from the Protestant side, you know, because that's, that's amazing information that I didn't even know. But the onus should be on the Catholic Church, too. So I, from the Catholic leaders up top, from as far back in U.S. history, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear why. Why not? Join us for the rest of the conversation in part two.